You know, friendship is a good thing. And especially when you're going through high school, you really want a good friend who'll be there with you and for you. This is Panikos Kiriagidis. How'd I do? You're perfect. Okay, thank perfect. you. Panikos Kiriagidis, and he was DJ Dozier's good friend through high school and has stood by him all these years as a friend. So Panikos wanted to do the introduction. So Panikos, it's all yours. It's a tremendous pleasure to be here today, this morning. Good morning. This is my first time at Spring Branch. Uh, Mike, uh, you know, I hear his name all over town. And everyone just talks about what an amazing guy he is, uh, how helpful he is. And it's a tremendous pleasure to be here, Mike. And getting to know Mike, we had uh, lunch, DJ Dozier and I at Aldo's. Uh, what can I say about my friend? You know, he was the number one baseball player in the United States coming out of high school and the number one football player in the United States. Not about life. I was at the Norfolk Sports Club, I remember, in 1983, and uh, George Steinbrenner came in town. A guy by the name of Tom Osborne, who was the head coach of Nebraska, was in town. And both of them came for one reason. They wanted DJ Dozier. George Steinbrenner says, son, I don't care where you go to school, but I want you to be a Yankee. And you can have a 20-year career as a Yankee, make a lot of money, and a great life. Sounds good to me. <laughs> DJ, of course, his first love was football. Tom Osborne came up. He says, he comes one in 15 years, and I want him. But a guy, an Italian Brooklyn by the name of Joe Paterno, snuck up and came to Kempsville High School. And whatever Joe Paterno did, he sold DJ to Penn State. He went to Penn State. Uh, Joe Paterno didn't believe in playing freshman, but it didn't take long to realize that this guy was special. As a 17-year-old freshman, he suited up, and it was all over. He became a four-time All-American. He scored the winning touchdown against Miami in 1986 and won the national championship when they had guys like Michael Irvin and Alonzo Highsmith, who was a tremendous running back himself, Vinny Testaveri. And then the next step in his life, he was drafted by the Minnesota Vikings as a first-round draft choice, played for the Vikings. He played alongside with Herschel Walker. Um, from Minnesota, he went to Detroit, and he was on the same backfield with Barry Sanders. But he still had an itch in his, in his stomach about baseball. Can you imagine six years without playing baseball? High school athletes all over the United States, are, they go to the next level from high school to college, and they, they get to the pros. And that's all they do is play baseball. This guy didn't touch a baseball for six years and was able to make it to the major leagues for the New York Mets and for the San Diego Padres, played over 60 games in the major leagues. Well, my friends, not about life, but one thing I will say, that his humility was always the thing that everybody remembers from Kempsville High School at Penn State. And when he was at Penn State, imagine being a 17-year-old kid just turned 18, and all of a sudden, everybody knows you, and everybody wants to know you. But he never walked around like he was anything but a great person, and he inspired people just being DJ. Well, it's an honor to introduce my great friend, DJ Dozier. 
Thank you, Panikos. I think we uh, I think we got some highlights here. Let's do the highlights right now. Please give a warm string branch welcome to DJ Dozier. Amen and good morning. I will not be doing that on, on stage this morning. Well, it's always a privilege to join a group of Bible-believing folks, especially among friends. You know, uh, Panikos uh, and I have known each other for uh, too many decades, uh, but everyone should have a friend like that. And it's just a privilege and um, a great honor to be here this morning, especially as <clears throat> uh, Panikos alluded to, uh, to be at a, such a great church with such a great pastor. Um, we don't say that because we're here. We've heard it from outside there. And I've had friends from the past that have mentioned uh, this church and, and Pastor Mike. And uh, so, it's, again, it's a privilege to be here. And Mike, thank you for your invitation. Uh, last year, or last week, I was, I was here at the Global um, uh, Leadership Summit. And uh, so I had a chance to visit the church for the first time and, and enjoy that uh, uh, service. Uh, but I'm, it's a pleasure to be here this morning. Now, what you saw up there, uh, as I said to the earlier service, the folks that were there, uh, Panikos had asked me, I think it was about a month ago, uh, how long it would take me to get in shape, uh, to get back to where I was. And I, I used a or I gave him a spiritual answer and said, probably all of eternity. <laughs> um, so in other words, it, it will not happen. Uh, you know, playing football is a, a unique thing. Uh, most women haven't played it. Um, but, you know, the things that I achieved there and the accolades that I received um, were, obviously I, I didn't achieve them by myself. I had other teammates. Uh, but even more than that, I had, I had talent that was given to me by the Lord. And so one of the most interesting things, in when we played for the national championship back in 1987, uh, the Fiesta Bowl, uh, the most interesting thing was what happened in my hotel room. You know, let's face it, you know, we're, we're not born Christians. Uh, you have to find your way back to Christ. And so... I did, and in this instance, I was in my hotel room. It was a couple of days before the game. So it's Penn State versus Miami uh, in a couple of days. And I remember being in my room and kneeling by my bed. And the first time it had ever happened to me, or at least the first time I think I had ever prayed this prayer, and I said, Lord, thank you for this opportunity because I wouldn't even be here in this situation, playing in this game, if you didn't give me the talent to be here. And so it was an instance where God was giving me humility uh, to honor him. And because again, I had never prayed a prayer like that, never even thought to. And so literally, Two days later, maybe a day before the game, I walked outside my hotel room, and there was a gentleman by the name of K. 
Keith Brown. And at the time, Keith was the uh, state director for the FCA for the state of Arizona. And he was also a former Penn State uh, football player. And so Keith approached me and he said, he said, DJ, I just want to let you know that, that God is pleased with your humility. And because of it, you're going to be rewarded. And so when I hear Konikos talk about my humility, I can always point back to Jesus and point back to the Lord because he's the one that has given us our tags, our talents, abilities, because I became known at that time as the kid that knelt in the end zone. Oh, yeah, I remember you. You're that guy that knelt in the end zone. And to this day, that image is a, a staple in Penn State history. And, you know, so God is amazing. And he, he never ceased to amaze us in anything, in any walk of life, and certainly among any of us. My wife, um, my wife and kids are here this morning, and, you know, one of the things I've been working on for the last four years is a book. And I can guarantee you, because I, I've heard it, heard it said, that um, it's the only book that she would ever want me to write because of everything we went through to get to this point. So I wrote a book. The title is Decide to Dominate. And what's interesting about this book is that I realized that it's not just a book, but a, a, a very important message, an important message for me, and I believe an important message for me to deliver as well. Because it was about four years ago, matter of fact, four years ago tomorrow, that I woke up one morning, I opened my eyes, and I heard the words, decide to dominate. And so my initial reaction was, I am. And I started thinking in my mind, and I'm thinking, I, I am dominating. And not long after that, I started seeing flashbacks of my life and instances where I was not dominating, but quite the opposite. And I realized laying there that I didn't know how to, although I thought I was, and I, and I, and I, did, I did. And so my next comment was, Lord, help me. Help me to dominate. And so I began to think and pray, and I, I did some, in, in, some uh, very out-of-character things. Um, at that point uh, to prove that I was in, interested in dominating. But let's, let's turn to uh, Genesis chapter 1. Or, if you don't have your Bibles, it'll be on the screen. And in chapter 1, verse 26, it says, Then God said, Let us make human beings in our image and likeness, and let them rule or have dominion over the fish in the sea the birds in the sky, over the tame animals, over all the earth, and over all small crawling animals on the earth. Verse 27, so God created human beings in his image. In the image of God, he created them. 
He created them male and female. Then 28 says, God blessed them and said, have many children and grow in number, fill the earth and be its master or subdue it. So we know from the beginning God desired, and I started learning this, that God desired that we have dominion in life and over the earth. And you, when you look at that word master, it, it from, what I, from my understanding, comes from a Hebrew word called uh, kabash, or, yeah, kabash, which means to bring into subjection, to master it. And so what I'm starting to learn and have uh, have come concluded is that our ability to do anything starts with a decision. So when we decide, then God does his thing because God already decided, right? He, I mean, the word is right there in the book of Genesis. He says, take dominion, master it. And so learning how to dominate in life is interesting especially when you thought you were. And now you have to go back and basically start over. In the book of Matthew, chapter 20, starting in verse 20, here's an interesting, interesting scenario. Then the mother of the sons of Zebedee, meaning James and John, came to Jesus with her sons. Now, what I shared in earlier service is that, you know, I mean, picture that for a moment. The mother, and, and, and I believe, Pastor, these were the, the, the these brothers had the nickname of son, uh, Sons of Thunder. So, picture this mother that's bringing the Sons of Thunder to the Master. Now, I know when I was a kid, whenever my mother was taking me anything or she said to, to do something and not tell me where I was going, I knew I was going somewhere very interesting. And so this mother is bringing her sons to Jesus, and she's going to ask a pretty audacious question. Here's the question, or here, let's continue on, then and we'll get to the question. So in, in verse 21, Jesus asks, so what do you want? She, and she says, promise that one of my sons will sit at your right hand and the other will sit at your left hand in your kingdom. So she's lobbying. She's lobbying for her sons. And of course, Jesus goes on to say, uh, you don't understand what you're asking. Can you drink the cup that I'm about to drink? And the sons answered yes. And Jesus goes on to say, you will drink from my cup. But here's the, the, the drawing point, at least where I focused when I read this passage. Jesus says, but I cannot choose who will sit at my right or my left. Those places belong to those whom my father has prepared them. Now, as far as I know, and, and, and I'm not a theologian, but as far as I know, there's nowhere in the Bible 
or the New Testament where Jesus says, no, I can't. I will not. Except here. And maybe there's some other places, but if there are, there are few. And so I found that very interesting that this one area, he says, no, I can't give you that. That belongs to whom it belongs to and whom my father has prepared. And so I believe, and this is my interpretation, so I believe that the reason that Jesus could not give that positioning at that time, but said it, would, it belonged to whom it belonged to and whom the Father prepared for, is because it's based on a decision. It's based on our decision and whether we decide to match our 100% fold or 60 fold or 30 fold, decide to dominate, decide to take dominion or some level of that or not. And I think that's the beauty of life that God would give us the ability to decide. So he, in the book of Genesis, he tells us, I want you to take dominion. But of course, we have to take dominion not just over the things around us, but more importantly, over our eternal being. So this mother had the audacity to ask for something extraordinary. There's a passage in the Bible where the disciples were asking Jesus a question, almost like in this passage. Later on in this, in, in this part of the Bible, they asked, who, well, who's, the, who's the greatest? And so they asked the question, to, they asked Jesus, well, who, of the prophets of old, who was the greatest? Legitimate question. I think any of us would want to know the answer. How many have read that part of the Bible? So, so in that passage, they're asking, Jesus, so who was the greatest? Who was the greatest prophet of old? And Jesus says, of those born of woman, woman, there's none greater than John the Baptist. Interesting. So Moses, Elijah, Elisha, all the other great prophets, John the Baptist was the greatest. But what comes after that is what I think is astonish astonishing and that's something we should all key in on. He says, but of those born of the Spirit, none No, I'm sorry. Of those born of the Spirit, even the least of them is greater than John. I mean, think about that for a second. So the greatest prophet, John the Baptist, of all those incredible prophets and the things that God used them, did through them and, and, and how he used their lives. And now the Lord Jesus is saying that but of those born of the Spirit, meaning those of us that have the Spirit of God, that it indwells us, of those born of the Spirit, even the least of them is greater than John. 
I mean, do you think we have the ability to dominate? I think so. And God, over and over again, throughout the Bible, tells us that we can dominate. Now, as I mentioned, I wrote a book, and so as I was sending the book out just to get some reviews, um, I don't know if any of you were here for the earlier service, but uh, my, my sister, who was, who was one of the folks that I sent the book out to to get reviews, um, I found out um, that she is an incredible critic. <laughs> I, and I was, it was completely unexpected. Uh, when I began to converse with her and ask her about certain chapters, I, I'm sort of like, really? Um, and you think that that, you know, that, that much lower than a 10, really? She goes, well, you know, you got to understand my sister, she's, she's as sharp as a tack. She was a valedictorian at a small school here locally, went on to UVA, and I'm sure she probably had honor level grades, um, and is a sharp uh, worker today. I mean, everyone I've talked to that have, has worked with her has said uh, very nice things about her. So she's sharp. And so the, the great thing, though, in the end, after, after she read through the entire book, she explained to me that her new position, which is an incredible uh, position that she just received, a promotion with another company, uh, was in due in part because of the book and how it awakened her. In one, especially in one specific chapter. And so I use that and say that because I believe the book will change your life. When I, years ago, when I went to Israel, um, it was about, I guess about 20 years ago, uh, before I left, I said to the Lord, I said, Lord, I'm not interested in walking where you walk, I mean, that's great, I get it, um, artifacts, okay, the Dead Sea, sure, but more than anything, I want to come back a changed man, that's all that I desire, and so traveling there, and it was the second to the last day that we were there, I was with a specific ministry, and, and on that day, we were baptizing all the other members that had traveled, and it was about 2,200. So we were in the River Jordan for quite a while. I think it was over three hours. And it was that last 20 minutes that changed my life. Because something happened. I can't explain it. Uh, I'm, I'm not even sure exactly how it happened. But I was standing there helping people before they went to the pastor to, get, to be baptized. And somehow, God showed me his love for his people. And again, I can't explain to you how I saw it, but I, I, I saw it and I, began, and I had sunglasses on. But under my glasses, my ear, my, my, my eyes were tearing up and I couldn't stop weeping for 20 minutes just it just kept coming <clears throat> and it was after that 
experience that brought me back home a changed man. And as I shared this morning, you know, for, for, for some of us males, we, we've got pride going on. And prior to that moment, I had an issue somehow deep down with calling Jesus my master. After that moment, that's all I can call him. And so with that, I, I'm sharing that to let you all know that I prayed over this book that whoever it's called to read it, that when they're done, that they will be a changed person. So today's message, pretty simple, is decide to dominate. And again, you know, making a decision is, is in our, um, it's, it's on us. And again, that's a great thing, that we can dominate, and that God has set it up uh, that way. Now, it's certainly not easy. It will not be a simple matter. But here's what's interesting. So last week when, when I visited at the Global, Summit, uh, Global Leadership Summit, I had an opportunity to, to hear Pastor McManus. How many were here for the summit? And how many heard McManus? So, number one, obviously powerful. Um, but he said some things, and, and I heard a recurring theme because what he was saying was, was echoing in my heart because I, I it has something to do with pain, and, and there was a, there's a chapter in our book that talks about pain. And so, so Pastor McManus said this. He said, your greatness is on the other side of pain. There is no greatness without going through the pain. So pain is not the end of the story. Jesus wants to bring us through, not to. And I added, to the point of pain. None of us like pain. But in order for us to become something more, there is a certain amount of pain and, and, and change that we, that we have to go through. And so, as I mentioned, in, in chapter three of, the, of, of my book, this, the title is No Pain, No Pain. And so in, in this book, it's, it's not just the body. It's the body of the book. Uh, there's several quotes, because I love quotes. Um, and then at the end of every chapter, there's what we call dominant factors. And so the dominant factors reflect back to the chapter, but it's seven things that you should get from this chapter that propel you toward dominating. And so I picked out two to read this morning. And one of them says, avoidance is not a management strategy and, and leads to the pain of a different form. Always avoid avoidance as a strategy. And then the other, give yourself permission to be blatantly honest with yourself or your circumstances and give others the access to do the same which will lead to the avoidance of regret 
and not think. The thing about regret, well, maybe I'll share this. So, an interesting family story <clears throat> is that one of our daughters was endeavoring to play soccer at, uh, at her school. And unfortunately, excuse me, unfortunately, they did not have a middle school soccer team. And so, as a 11-year-old, the only way that she was gonna play soccer was with the high school. So how many know that, you know, an 11-year-old playing soccer at the high school level is a pretty large challenge and somewhat intimidating, or at least can be. So we had several conversations about the ordeal. And of course, you know, being a, a, a former athlete, you know, you can imagine what I was saying. You know, that this was a tremendous opportunity and that God will teach you some, some things through this experience. Because I remember when I was 12, in a similar situation, with football, because I was a larger kid, I was about 140 pounds, and so I had to play with individuals that were older than I, much older. So I was 12, and it was really a league for 14 to 16 year olds. So I can remember driving up with my parents, and some of my teammates would be driving themselves. So it was a major challenge, so I saw we saw our daughter in a similar situation. And so I believe that God could use that to develop, develop something powerful within her, and certainly confidence. And so we witness a process. And that process, as you would imagine, began with intimidation. I mean, any, any kid is going to be intimidated with an opportunity like that. I certainly was when I was 12 having to play with uh, uh, older, older kids. And so what comes with intimidation often when we are intimidated is excuses. But then we saw something interesting start to develop in her. So she went from being intimidated having and wanting nothing to do with playing soccer at that level to being frustrated because once practice began and certainly when the games started, she realized that, wait a second, I think I'm as good as some of those other kids. So maybe I should be on the field playing more instead of being on the sidelines. And so she goes from being intimidated to frustrated. And then something else happened in that frustration. She couldn't quit, we wouldn't let her. So she became determined. And so she went from intimidation to frustration to 
through determination. And how many know that when you are determined to do something, excuses are removed? Determination is the number one enemy of excuses. And so D-O-N-E stands for determination overcomes numerous excuses. That's how you get it done. That's how excuses are eliminated when you are determined. And so it wasn't long after that that she began to play more and more. And so she reached a level of domination because she went through the process. The process of pain or change is not to harm us, but to increase us. And so I believe that that's exactly what God wants for us. If we have not found ourselves in a position where we are dominating, it's okay. Because we can still go through the process. And God is there to encourage us and move us through that process. Again, going back to Penn State and scoring that winning touchdown, you know, we didn't show up, meaning we, meaning that class of athletes that were seniors that year. We didn't show up, and we were champions. It had to be developed. We had to go through a process, and trust me, a process we went through. Because in my first year, in 1983 at Penn State, it was the worst start of a paternal team. We lost our first three games. And I remember Paterno coming into the locker room and he said, guys, listen, <laughs> we're, our backs are against the wall. Either we lay down or we decide, that word again, decide, to come out fighting. And so that team changed its perception, its mind, and we went on to have a fairly successful season. Uh, we only lost one other game. We tied uh, an, another team, so we ended up, uh, I believe the, the, uh, our record was 8-4-1, and one, and we ended up going to the Aloha Bowl. So that was, in, that was my first year. My second year was another terrible season. We didn't start 0-3, but it ended up being the worst season that a paternal team had ever had. We went six and five. But something amazing happened during that time. So at the end of the season, like every college team that's in the hunt for a bowl game, the bowl committee asked if we were interested in going to the Aloha Bowl. In that case, back to the Aloha Bowl. And so I remember hearing the seniors, uh, not the seniors, but the, the sophomore and juniors saying, we're not interested. We're not interested. The only way that we're going back to a bowl game is if we play for a national championship. Now, can you imagine? I mean, think about it. Our freshman year, we go 0-3, end up having a decent season. 
The next year, we go six and five, and we're telling the world that we're not interested in going to a bowl game unless we're playing for the championship? I mean, who has that kind of audacity to think that that is even possible? But that's exactly what we did, and that's exactly how we thought. And so the next year, 1985 season in 1986 Orange Bowl, we played Oklahoma for the national championship. We had gone 11 and 0 for the season. And in the championship, in the Orange Bowl, we lost. So the process, we had played for a championship, but we didn't win one. And so we stepped up our agenda and our goal. It was no longer we were interested in playing for a championship. Now we wanted to win one. So in the locker room after that loss in the Orange Bowl, the seniors decided that they were not going to go to the NFL draft, but they were going to come back, and as a team, we put ourselves in that position again, only this time to win. And that's exactly what happened. And so in 1987, the Fiesta Bowl, as I told the story a little earlier, I scored the winning touchdown knelt down in the end zone, and God did the rest. 1987 was a tremendous year. Not only did we play for the championship, and I was, of course, a part of that, but later that year, I was drafted in the NFL. Obviously, a tremendous dream come true for me. And then just a few months later, something else happened. As uh, my friend was alluding to earlier, I wanted to play baseball. Didn't start, but it started with just going to a, a World Series game. Uh, so Minnesota that year was playing the, the St. Louis Cardinals. And I decided to, to go to the series with a, another teammate. And while I was sitting there, I said to myself, I can do this. Now, of course, that's rather crazy to actually think that I could go from sitting in the stands to playing baseball, and I hadn't done it in, in years. But I believe that that's the kind of audacity that God wants us to have because he's given us talents, he's given us abilities, gifts. He's given us the things, the tools that we need to dominate in this life. I thought another thing that's interesting, as I was writing and, you know, we, we talk a lot about purpose and fulfilling purpose. But one thing that I came across, or at least, I mean, this is, again, my interpretation, is that, yes, we should be pursuing our purpose and fulfill it. Absolutely. And I think sometimes some of us, and I know myself, get lost in, in identifying our, uh, uh, our worth based on what we do or what we achieve. 
And so one day, I was reading and it dawned on me that my significance, our significance, it's not based on performance. When, when God decided to create us, he put our talents, abilities in us. And so in that moment, matter of fact, the Bible says that, that God formed us before the foundation of the world. So what that means is everything he put in us to achieve purpose was done before the foundation of the world. So here's what that means to me. That if he did that then, and he was putting specific things in us, specific gifts, talents, abilities, for a specific purpose, my significance is right there. The fact that he would take the time and specifically give me something for something tells me that I'm significant. And there is a, obviously a difference between me and you and all of us have reflecting each other. And so I further realized that, so since my significance is not based on performance, now performance obviously dictates reward, both on earth, going back to the sons of thunder and the mother asking for that position. So I believe that our performance has something to do with what happens in our, in our reward ceremony in heaven. But our significance does not. We are significant before we take one step and before we speak one word. And for me, that was such a powerful understanding and revelation. In the scripture, Revelations chapter 1, verse 6, It says, he made us to be a kingdom of priests who serve God, his Father, Jesus Christ, be glory and power, which is dominion forever and ever. Amen. So from the book of Genesis through and all the way to Revelation, God desires and God decided that we would dominate in life. And so my prayer is that you would do that, and I would do that, and we together would do that because that's exactly what this world needs. It needs to see a church, meaning a body of people, that receive from God all that we have and give that to others. Humility comes before honor, and it is a tremendous honor to be here. Thank you for listening this morning. Um, I, I pray that this message has encouraged you. God has given me a, a gift of encouragement, or at least I believe he has, so I pray that it has. And Pastor, thank you again. Uh, before you leave, we're going to pray. Pastor and I are going to...
the pastor's going to come up and we're going to pray and then dismiss you. Thanks again. So, Father, we thank you for this day, and we ask your blessing upon it. Bless the people, Lord God, and bless them as they go out into the community, Lord, into their jobs and wherever they travel. Bless them exceedingly, abundantly, above that, even with their ability to ask and receive, Lord. We ask this in the name of Jesus. Lord, bless the children of this house. Bless the children of this area, this country, and this world. Touch them, Lord God. And those that do not know you, that they will be given the opportunity to serve you. You are our master, and we thank you, Lord. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this message from the heart of a man of faith, a message that encourages us to decide to dominate in some area of our lives for your sake and for your glory. So, Father, lead us, guide us, put your hand of blessing upon DJ as he moves forward, as he gets to speak and share this message of encouragement with many. Father, we're thankful that we could be together today. We are your people. We are your servants. We give our lives again into your holy hands. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. DJ Dozier.